Sometimes the best stories in golf aren't found on tour. You'll find them at the back of the range. And here's your host, Ben Adelberg. Thanks for joining me here again at the back of the range. I'm your host, Ben Adelberg. And yes, you know who that was, Mitch Phillips. Check him out, mpvoice.com. He does our voiceover work here and makes this thing look a lot better than it really is. Let me get this housekeeping stuff out of the way and we will get to this week's guest. Make sure you subscribe at Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or Google Play, Overcast, anywhere that you get your podcast, you'll be able to find us. Just put in the back of the range. Also, we are on Instagram, so check us out there. And if you're out hitting balls or practicing or playing, go ahead and tag us. Let us know what you're doing. Got a great response from last week's episode, which was our first. Really uh, glad to hear that everyone's enjoying it so far. Uh, none more so than my buddy Kyle over at the Florida State Golf Association, who sent me a picture of the podcast playing in his car with a text attached that said, I've got nothing better to do. If that's not an endorsement, I don't know what is. So anyway, this week's guest is David Pizzino. He is the head coach of men's golf at the University of Connecticut. He got his start actually at St. Thomas University in Miami. Yep. He recruited me to play college golf. And despite that, he's had an excellent career through many different coaching stints. We're going to get into that. We're going to get into the instructors that he worked with. And uh, I think he has a story or two about some other coaches at UConn in some other sports. So I still can't call you David. So coach, welcome to the back of the range. Uh, ben, it's a, it's quite an honor. We're going to have a lot of fun, I'm sure. You didn't see this coming when you uh, recruited me to play free at St. Thomas University back in the day, did you? You didn't say, man, I, I want him on the team, but I'm probably going to have to do a podcast for him in like 25 years. <laughs> from... <laughs> well, I tell you, um, there's a lot of talent that I was listening to from about 30 yards away on a date night with my wife at the Nicholas Driving Range in Fort Lauderdale, right off of 95 there. And there's, there's this dude who's like looked to me like you were like six, seven, just hitting missiles over this range. And my driver wasn't getting, my my driver wasn't getting halfway up the net and you're launching balls out of this place. So I, I had to go in and see, see, uh, see for myself if you were legit and you most certainly were. That was a lot of fun. Well, that was a very important night in my life. It led me down to St. Thomas university in Miami and playing college golf that I never really expected. Um, Let's uh, let's let's get started here. So tell me a little bit about your beginnings in the game of golf as a junior player. Yeah, so I didn't start till later. Uh, I had to stop playing football, the whole thing. And so when I started playing, I was 16. I played when I was 12, but I hated the game, um, and which is crazy because it's other than my family, it's all that I do now. But um, I started when I was 16. Uh, by the, we were living in California on the second hole of Discovery Bay Golf Club, um, out in Discovery Bay, California. And there was a there was a mini tour player who was an awesome player. His name's Dave DeLong, and he kind of hooked me up with being able to caddy for him and watch him play. And I remember on the fourth tee, we were backed up, and he hands me his driver and goes, "Hey, man, give it a rip. What do you think? It's a brand new, tailor-made." Uh, Pittsburgh persimmon driver, and I hit one and left a huge idiot mark on the top of the driver, and I was like, uh-oh, is that bad? I didn't even know. And uh, he's like, nope, just keep going. I got a trunk full of them. Go ahead and hit another one. And I hit the second one, and it was like it was like hitting a home run, you know, like the feeling of a 
of a really pure struck golf shot. I don't even, I think it hit the fairway, but I didn't really care. The feeling was just amazing. And um, Dave was really great to me, gave me a lot of instruction and then uh, tied me into to the local pro that was in the area, Ron Parsons. And I played in a, um, the Contra Costa junior golf stuff, uh, which was amazing. I mean, I think it was like 20 bucks. You show up, there's lunch, you play golf, there's instruction involved. A lot of good players came out of there. A uh, guy that ran that was named Rob Bolt. Uh, his, his family is really big in the East Bay area out in California. Um, we moved to New Jersey my uh, sophomore year in high school and uh, just played on the high school golf team, uh, wanted to play college golf. Uh, to make it worthwhile and to, uh, to take care of my academics, I went to a community college um, played at two different community colleges, um, Burden Community College, which was an amazing thing. I think that's where I found out I wanted to be a coach. Uh, played for a guy by the name of Doug Yenny, and uh, he was great. Um, we went to the national championship um, with a Division three junior college. Uh, he set up tournaments with teams that, you know, were really good and uh, just learned how to compete under Coach Yenny. And we moved to Florida and had the opportunity to play at Broward Community College. Um, you know, uh, Mr. Toski uh, owned the range there at Broward Community College, and he gave me uh, and all the guys on our team so much time. And, and that's where I kind of watched how great players uh, practiced and played. And Mr. Toski was everything in my life then. I, I got a lot of great work in with Bob and had guys on our team that were really amazing. Uh, there's a guy down there, uh, um, Mike Neely. Uh, Mike was a couple time state amateur champ, I think. And, I, I know Mike Neely. Yeah. He's, yeah. Uh, he's, I mean, I think he's one of the Arkansas. only guys that is, that's ever won the, uh, Broward, Dade and Palm beach County amateur in the state of Florida. Doesn't, doesn't surprise me. And the guy was so good to me. I was like the wannabe fifth guy on that roster. I mean, uh, you know, I moved from New Jersey down to Broward. We're playing at Carolina Golf Club. Um, I think it was our first round of qualifying, and I think I shot 73. And I'm like, wow, 73 solid. And we go in, we go in and find out, well, yeah, that's not even in the top six. <laughs> so I had to reevaluate my golf and um, really just learned how to practice harder. Um, you know, that's community college golf was was a way to go for me. I really needed that extra time. If you had not had the the wealth of knowledge that you had acquired at community college, so obviously you're, you're Broward Community College, which for those people listening, no South Florida at all. It is literally across the parking lot is the Toski Battersby Learning Center where Bob Toski, who's, again, if you don't know Bob Toski, Google Bob Toski, one of the, uh, basically the pioneer of, of instruction I think argue, arguably the, the pioneer of, of instruction out of Golf Digest, golf magazines where you just you can see how to hit a slice and, or how to hit a fade, how to hit a draw, how to correct a slice. So he was like the father of that. And so you're, you're going to school working with him, and then you have all these guys that are really good to you. They're sharing the knowledge. Did you ever stop to think what you would be doing if you had had a less informative college experience around golf where it's just hey i played for this small d3 team and we all yucked it up in the van and 
you know, shot, you know, shot in the seventies and eighties and had some beers and had some laughs and that was about it. Did you ever think what would have happened if you had not had that experience? You know, I've never, <laughs> and I've never thought what the heck I would do <laughs> if I didn't, if I didn't focus my life around golf or trying to play and competing and, um, you know, playing with guys like Mike Neely and, you know, Tony Roderick. I mean, these, these guys, you know, Tony had a self-made swing. Mike Neely looked like Ernie Els. I mean, these, I, I walked into a bees hive or beehive and these guys could all flat out play. And, um, you know, you, you learn how good your goods got to be when you go to a place like Broward at the time, you know, it's, um, you got to up your game. And, and Toski was like, for me, I, I had some great instruction, but never to the level of that. And then when I was with him, he was 67 years old and could, you know, he, he beat his age a lot from the back tees. I mean, he's, he was five, four, I don't know, 135 pounds. And so when's the last time you saw Mr. Toski? Has he ever come up for a visit to Yukon? Yeah. It's, and he came up and did a thing at the travelers championship and he looked right at me and I went up to him. He's first thing out of his mouth is like, geez, smiles. How you been, pal? Put the, uh, put the beers down. I don't even drink beers. <laughs> um, you know, it's, uh, I've been very blessed, Ben, because, uh, you know, the coaching thing kicked in when I was at St. Thomas, and, um, you know, St. Thomas gave me an opportunity to, to finish out my senior year. And um, Well, I, well, I do want to ask how that happens. So you, you, you're at Broward, and then how do you get right, to So I'm Thomas? at Broward, and I had, a, um, I had a commitment out of high school to play at the University of Southern Mississippi and really wanted to see what that was all about. And, um Loved Hattiesburg. I played for a great man with a bunch of really good guys, um, but just got homesick. Uh, missed my uh, my fiance at the time. My wife and I were engaged um, before I went away to school. And Hattiesburg is an awesome place. They've got a great program now. Um, most certainly, just missed being home. Um, a family. I'm the youngest of four, um, and I uh, wanted to be back home in South Florida. So. Transferred back to finish out my senior year, and um, when I did, uh, they made a coaching change like last week in August, first week in September, and they were trying to figure out what they were going to do, but, you know, that I only had one year of eligibility left, so I went in there trying to see what they were going to do, and they're like, well, we're going to have a team, but we may not have one until the spring, and I was like, well, all right, well, then I'm going to I'm gonna transfer, so... Uh, since you also graduated from St. Thomas, you remember Dr. Ted Abernathy, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Doc, I went in and I was saying goodbye to everybody and uh, went, into, went into Ted's office and I was trying to say goodbye and he kind of shut the door and we had a little come to Jesus meeting because he called me out. It's probably the most significant conversation I've had professionally is that he called me out and I wasn't even ready to coach yet. I'm telling you, I was, what, 22 at the time? And uh, senior finishing up, and uh, he said to me, he's like, you know, this is kind of weak. You're turning a little bit of a challenge into I'm going to duck and run. He goes, that's just garbage. He goes, I, I know you as a person. That doesn't seem like you. So I kind of sat back, and I looked at it, and I was like, yeah, how hard could it be to coach a college golf team? Yeah, I could do that, and then you know, I could still try to play, um, which ended up being a complete utter disaster golf uh, professional golf wise so i packed that in after i had the opportunity to, to coach um and i went in you know i sat with ted and we kind of formulated a you know kind of a script on how to go into the athletic director and talk to him about it and 
thank God Laura Laura Courtley Todd was the I think she was the associate AD at the time, and now she's the longtime AD who's done tremendous things at our alma mater. Um, I went in there and I said, well, look, if you're if you guys need somebody to, you know, set up tournaments and go recruiting and all that, I could do that. I could totally do that. So they gave me the job. Did you think you could do that? No chance. Okay. Lying through my teeth in a Catholic university wasn't the best move in the world, but not as bad as the shit I did. Had one idea. I thought I could do it. Um, it was a little bit of a challenge with guys being my age and a little bit older than me on the team. Um, but I knew one thing. I loved the game and I loved St. Thomas. So that was important. Um, and I think that's what uh, really carried me through. And I think another thing was I went and bought a book. Um, I was told by the vice president at the time that I needed to read a book. It was called They Call Me Coach by John Wooden, the famous UCLA famous UCLA basketball coach, all those national championships. And and the crazy thing is, uh, Ben, I read it before every season. So my copy is a little beat up. It's got a lot of highlights in it, and the pyramid of success looks pretty beat up right now. So I probably should get another copy. But, um, you know, I, I have to thank Ted Abernathy for getting me going because it's uh, – I could have walked away from a really great situation. We built something really special at St. Thomas, went to two national, back-to-back national championships – Really had a, a great run there, had great support. You know, the sports administration program at St. Thomas was a huge recruiting vehicle for us, absolutely. But. So what was the biggest challenge that you uh, had to deal with or any just anecdotes? Because I think this was before I was not there when you were the playing coach. Right. So I had so, right. So I had no idea what I was doing, right? Like, we had young kids who I thought could really play, but they got to school and it was a little bit over their head, balancing school and golf. And, you know, I went in there with a little bit of a chip. You know, I could still play a little bit, not that I was ever any good, but um, I still had a little bit of a chip on my shoulder and I was pretty hard and I needed to evaluate who I was as a coach and had to back down a little bit for sure. Um, I think the biggest thing for me is I needed to learn a lot of patience, right? Like guys weren't trying to make bogeys. It just, that's how golf is. And, um, I was equally as tough on myself as a player. So I kind of ease into that and understanding of that a little bit better as I got older and matured a little bit. But, um, you know, 23 years old student head coach 21 years ago, or, you know, more than that now, but it's, uh, it was just a tremendous learning experience for me. You know, um, we had to fundraise a lot of things and, you know, it's just how it goes. You're at a small school and, you know, you, you trying to, trying to have a, a great golf, student golf athlete experience for the kids. And you got to do certain things, you know, you know, if you ever want to get into coaching, I think the, an advantage in coaching at any level is learning from a smaller division school where you're not handed everything. So, you're at St. Thomas, you're, you're working through, you were there basically coaching for three years. And your next stop, you moved on to Florida International, also in Miami. How did, so how did that come about? And now this is to coach the women's team. So you're going from coaching your, a lot of the same guys you're on the team with previous years, and a lot of guys that are pretty much your same age, because I think, you know, uh, I was about Oh, I guess 20, 21, 22 years old. You were, I guess you're about three, four years older than me. So you're coaching your, pretty much your contemporaries, your first coaching gig, and now you're going to coach the girls over at FIU. 
How did that come about, and did you have any hesitation in taking that job? Well, you know, I knew I wanted to coach full-time, and I, and I didn't think that the St. Thomas would ever burgeon into a full-time position. And it's just the way it is. You know, that's, that's how that goes at a small NAIA school. Um, but, uh, you know, and I wanted to be um, – a goal of mine at that time was to be a director of golf. So I wanted to have coaching men under my belt and then be able to have the background of coaching women as well. And, um, you know, uh, that was an awesome experience for me, um, you know, working from 96 to 99 at St. Thomas and then taking over the women's team at Florida International uh, in 99, of August of 99, um, and just learning how to be a better coach, a better teacher. Uh, that was a big deal for me for sure. And at that time, so you're at, you're down there in Miami and you're also working for Jim McLean at his, uh, his school in, in Doral. Uh, so you're, so you're balancing both. So you're, you're trying to coach these girls and then also putting in time teaching. Um, how, how did, well, how did that opportunity come about? That job at FIU materialized in like the mid mid summer. And, um, but I, when I took over the job there, um, uh, we had a great group of young ladies to work with that were already there. That was a pretty gosh darn good team. So, you know, the talent level was really high and, um, they were a lot of fun to work with. Uh, about a year into FIU, um, I had applied to work for the Jim McClain Golf School in kind of their developmental role of as, as an assistant professional. And, um, you know, I, I sent in applications three times and got a note back, hey, we filled the position. So I was like, wow, what do I got to do? <laughs> you know, I know these guys. What do I got to do? I, I've set up tournament courses where Chris Polson shot 62 or 63 on. I, I got to be able to talk to somebody over there about getting a job. And, I mean, it's, it's the bottom of the barrel, right? You're like you're fixing divots, repairing bunkers, sure. picking up keys. Um, setting up lessons and it's, again, it's, to me, it was some of the best education you could ever get about, you know, one, working hard to just instruction in general. If you look at who came out of that group that I went with, that I got a chance to work with. I mean, I worked with guys like John Birkin, who ironically is a UConn grad. He's, you know, a top instructor in two darn states, in my opinion. I know it's Pennsylvania, but he's, he works at uh, Aronimink and Old Marsh. Um, you know, uh, John Webster's got an academy out there in Palm Beach. And I was really blessed. I worked with so many guys and, 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 and ladies that were just giving of their time and giving of their knowledge. And it was hard work. You know, we, we were expected to work six, seven days a week, six days a week. And on the seventh day, you were supposed to go watch somebody else, you know, teach and, and help out. And I was blessed because we had such a, a great crew that that just happened, you know, and, and our team practiced. We were blessed enough to be able to practice at Doral. So while my team was finishing up and doing their own work, I could go help out and finish, close down the, the superstation and the building and everything. So, so you're, and, and that's I mean, very well said. It just, it sounds like you just, it sounds like you're pretty much just sleeping at the range at Doral for a few years. Uh, with yeah. the amount of time you were spending there. We'd start at 6.30 in the morning at Doral, and, um, you know, I'd have to do paperwork and, and FIU work 
during the night or like at lunch or something, and then I'd work till two, and then I'd meet my team at practice. And you can imagine Miami traffic. So a lot of the times I'd meet them as they're finishing their warm up, and we'd do work and go play. And then sometimes I'd be able to go back and uh, help finish closing up and that type of thing. And you know, it was. Um, and what would you say is the biggest difference between teaching college men versus college ladies? Is there a you difference? Many, like what? Yeah, you know how many times I get that question. This is the first time, to, for the purpose of my podcast. This is the first time <laughs> ever been, anyone's ever asked that. I get that all the time, and I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. I I don't have a difference because elite players all want to be coached up, and they want to compete, right? Like there's there's really no difference in my opinion. Um, you know, there's some some things you got to be, you know, you got to you got to think through some things on how you say things sometimes to to both parties. But other than that, you know, they just want to be coached up. They want they want uh, discipline. They want structure. And uh, you know, as long as I learned a lot of that stuff, I became a better coach. And I'll tell you, um, learning how to 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 uh, break down a golf course differently was a big deal for me as a woman's coach because I was always thinking about a 7,200-yard golf course instead of a 62 or 6,300-yard golf course. And, you know, I, I could tell you a lot of my women players didn't lose a lot of golf balls. They hit it really straight. And guys, on the other hand, you can go through a couple sleeves of balls. <laughs> I uh, Yeah, that sounds like me. Yeah. <laughs> Especially when you were a pup. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. I still don't know where it's going half the time. It's all smoke and mirrors. But uh, <laughs> So it sounds to me that this was really one of the most educational periods of your career where you're learning so much at the McLean Center and then you're immediately able to implement these lessons to your team at FIU. So if you could think of, of one nugget that you obtained from McLean that translated right to your coaching, what would that be? Honestly, I learned how to back off. That was the biggest thing that as a college coach and a guy coach now, you, you don't want to be throwing too much instruction at a guy because a lot of the time these elite women and men players, they have their own instructors. So why are you going to try to jump in and change anything? Sure. So you, you learn not just the, the swing and how to teach it, but also how to manage players. I did, and, and the next guy I worked for was probably the best in the business at that, and that's why his teams are always so so magnificent. Okay, so that's the perfect lead-in. So you leave FIU, uh, an opportunity comes up to be an assistant under Mike Small at Illinois, and so how did, yeah, how, I, how did that come about? And then you're only there for a year, so so talk about what you what you learned and what you gained in that one year. Well, I was there for 18 months. Um, the funny thing was I had applied for the job, and I had only told two people that I applied for it. When I was growing up in high school, the Fighting Illini was like my favorite basketball team, and my mother and father-in-law lived in Champaign, Illinois at the time. So we'd been in Champaign a couple times, and I had um, I had applied for other jobs, but I kept getting uh, told no thanks um, for a myriad of reasons. I wasn't coaching long enough. I didn't have a background and some other things. and. Um, I decided that 
well, now granted, I was a Division One women's coach. Now I needed to go back and get on the men's side, and um, I, I knew I wanted to be at a place that was in a big conference, um, and I wanted to work for somebody who who had been doing this for a while. And I think Coach Small had been doing it for eight or nine years by the time I applied for the job. And um, I get a phone call from his secretary uh, one afternoon, and they said, uh, hey, uh, Coach Small would like to bring you in for the interview for the assistant job. I'd like to be able to set that up. Um, when can we do it? And then I honestly thought it was one of my buddies calling me and goofing on me. <laughs> so I said, all right, I'll tell you what, let me get back to you on that. And she's like, well, we need you to, to do it today because we need to get a flight. And I'm like, oh, you bet, I'll get back to you. So I hung up and I called that buddy of mine. He's like, I don't know what you're talking about. That's oh, a no. real... Oh. I'm like, oh, my God. And I couldn't get I couldn't get his secretary back on the phone for a while, and I felt so bad. I'm like, there's no chance I'm getting this job. And So despite your unorthodox strategy to getting the job, you know, not believing the guy's secretary, it sounds like he was pretty impressed with your coaching background. He was. He liked the idea that I had been a head coach, and he liked the idea that I had a teaching background. And, um, you know, he was, um, I think, the really – really like mind-boggling things like you know he's a good player right like he's played in so many tournaments we went out to the orange and blue played the back nine and um this is the first time i've ever seen anything like this it was his dad myself and one other guy and the kid on the team who was there taking summer classes he's like i'm gonna kick your butt coach small and coach p i'm gonna beat you too and the kid's talking tremendous amount of trash and I don't know what I shot. I don't remember what the kid shot. I know what Coach Small shot. It was like 31 or 32, and he hit two flag sticks, Ben. <laughs> we didn't hit one range ball. How about that? He shoots 31 or 32, and I'm going to the next, I'm going to the 10th hole going, hey, Coach, we're going to finish this? He's like, nah, let's go get some wings and talk about the week. And I was like, oh, oh. okay. You just shot four or five under. Okay. All right. All right. Okay. All right. Sounds good. But, um, you know, as and he's he's one of those coaches that everybody asks me about, like, what's the secret sauce? And, you know, first of all, if I ever said anything that was proprietary towards the Illini, I think Coach would kill me, but I, I most certainly won't. But I'll tell you this, he works harder than everybody else. He is a lot smarter than everybody else. And he's played on tour, and, and I think those things really go a long way in coaching. You know, it's uh, he's... He's just a really great guy. And, um, you know, he was able to identify talent. I remember I, I went out to watch uh, Scott Langley as a sophomore, and I didn't see what Smalley saw until I looked at some more video, and I was like, wow, this is going to be special. And, you know, proof's in the pudding, I guess. And then Langley was a freshman, I think, in high school. No, sorry, Guthrie was a freshman, I think, in high school. Um and the same thing. He's like, hey, I need you to go go look at this guy. And I was like, oh, yeah, he's pretty good. I wouldn't say he's a world beater. And then now those guys are multimillionaires. So there you go. <laughs> there you go. There you go. So, <laughs> um, so, you, so you spend the, the year and a half there at, at Illinois. How do golf coaches get hired? It's not like you're going in there and saying something original like, well, I, I my vision for this team is that we're going to get the ball in the hole quicker. I mean that's the, I mean that's the goal of every golf team. I can understand sure. a football coach saying, "Well, I really believe in a four-three defense, or I really like to run the ball." 
and they might say, yeah, well, you know, the AD says, yeah, that's really not what we do here, or I have a different vision. How is How did your vision of what you wanted to do at, at Connecticut, do you think, get you the job, as opposed to maybe you not getting the job at other places that you may have applied for? I think a lot of it has to do with the background, you know, because I think what young coaches don't understand is that it's not what you have on your resume. It's where you've been and athletic directors know people that you've worked with or worked against, right? Like, oh yeah, this coach, um, uh, this athletic director, Jeff Hathaway knew Rick Mello, which was the AD at Florida International when I was there. And he talked to Rick about me and he and Rick had a great conversation. That's what I found out when I came in from my interview. And, um, you know, I, I think a lot of it has to do with player management because, you know, Division One, Two, II, and Three college players are really good golfers. So it's all it's all how you manage the environment, right? If you come in and you're a taskmaster and the kids don't respond and you're still a jerk to them and they're still not responding, you're probably not going to be at that certain place for a very long time. Of course. And um, I think that goes for any sport, but most certainly golf because the the men and women will just tune you out, right? Like they can only just take so much of, why did you shoot 75? I mean, that's horrible, which, you know, it's not like they were trying to shoot 75, right? But I think when you show player development and I think that you show your recruiting prowess, I think that those are important and how your presence is during an interview, I think that says a lot about how you can control and, and build a program for sure. So right now, you have two players on your team, just to kind of get back into uh, you know, what sure. you mentioned about recruiting. You have Rodrigo Sanchez from the Dominican Republic and Sasha Wardebro from Switzerland. Yep. How do, you, how do you recruit internationally? Like You can't just go down to the local junior tournament and, and scout a bunch of kids. How do you recruit internationally and have a really good idea of what you're doing? You know, when it comes to international recruiting for, for UConn, UConn is a really great academic institution, and it gives players a lot of options. So when they graduate, they have an opportunity to have to, to, to take their game and play professionally or take their, their game and go to the boardroom, if you know what I mean. Sure. And, um, you know, I, I do the international landscape a little bit uh, more like I try to reach out to people who I trust and, and I have good friends with. Um, Rodrigo, uh, our assistant coach, Adam McCary, was down, we were down together at Doral, and I asked him to go follow a group for another kid, and he called, he texted me while I was on the other side of the golf course, said, yeah, I'm not loving that kid, but I really like this Dominican kid, you think he would want to come to stores, question mark, and I was like, well, I don't know, and I took four steps, and I remembered, wait a minute, the national coach worked with us at Doral, Name's Jonas, and Jonas and I, uh, I reached out and found out Jonas was on property, and uh, Jonas was able to get me his resume and everything, and, and Rodrigo and I, uh, recruiting internationally is a lot easier now because of, you know, Skype, FaceTime, the whole thing. So I spoke to Rodrigo, I think it was once a week, um, as soon as we were allowed to speak to him, and we just hit it off. That kid, that kid loves to compete, loves to play, uh, did a lot of great work with a with uh, Jonas and a, and, a, and a guy who I absolutely adore at, um, at Jim McLean, uh, Rob Campbell. He and Rob did some really great work together. Uh, so it was really neat to get Rodrigo. And Sasha was a kind of a guy that, like, he was a part-time American. 
right? Like uh, right. he was here in the United States for a little while, then he was back in Switzerland. Um, but though, you know, it's all about the institutional fit, Ben, right? Like you, you got to go to a place where you're going to love. And uh, those two guys love it here, which is I've been very grateful for. So how do you sell? Uh, like I know you really hit on this with with academics, and obviously it's it's Division One team, but. Um, how do you sell Yukon golf to someone that isn't from the Northeast that maybe didn't have it on their radar? How, how are you selling Yukon? Cause it's, you just told me that what, what's the weather like there today? 40 something and, and windy. Uh, it's actually a sunny 46 degrees right now. Mm-hmm. So I think the university sells itself, right? So the university of Connecticut is so strong academically. They were just ranked the top 20 public university in the country. I think um, when you look at kids that go to UConn on the golf side of it, they come in and they get better, and that's what I'm really proud about. They have the opportunity to play golf at the Division One level at a high-end conference against some of the best competition in the country, and then we schedule a very demanding schedule every year. And, you know, we'll see a ton of NCAA postseason schools because that's where we want our program to be. So when you're when you're around a lot of I'm I'm sure you're doing a lot of local recruiting at, uh, at junior tournaments, AJJ events, and then obviously you know the the US Junior and all the USGA events, the USAM. You're probably running into lots of kids, and that means lots of parents. And I'm sure you're seeing the good things and the bad things. If if you just had any advice you can give to the parents of a junior player that clearly is doing well, that's looking to play in college. Um, you know what's what are you what have you seen that's that's really good and what have you seen that you would advise against? Well, I think now what you see for junior golfers is you see a lot of there's so many more better players, right? The instruction's better, the fitness is better, the nutrition's better. So there's so many good kids. I think everybody needs to hit the brakes and kind of realize that um, there's a place for every kid who plays junior golf, and it may be, I don't know, maybe, you know, uh, a, a university in Maine, or it may be a univer- small small uh, NAIA school in, in Miami Gardens, Florida. I don't know. But I think everybody just needs to do their research, take their time, and understand that, you know, try to go to a place where you can play, where you can go in and have the opportunity to compete. I think that's a that's a big deal. And and I think what people get bent out of shape about is like, oh, my kid got a full ride. My kid got a full ride. And well, just on the men's side, there's only four and a half scholarships. So there's not that many kids that are getting full rides uh, on the men's side when it comes to uh, men's men's golf. So I think that's what people need to understand is that if you do your research and take your time and, and go take unofficial visits, you get to learn more about the school. And, and, and that's, that, I think, is, is super important. You know, I think that's really, really important. Um, I would say that when your player is at a tournament, let them be the one carrying their bag and cleaning their clubs. Don't, don't jump in there and carry their bag from the car to the range for them. And, I mean, I, no one... I'm not carrying a guy's bag from the van to the to the range unless they need help. That's for sure. Um, but it's um, but it's interesting that um, I didn't know that uh, when when I was when I got started in the game that so many guys 
you know, there there will be so many guys to recruit, but there's so many men players and there's so many good players. So that's why I think college bound junior golfers, men and women, would do themselves a lot of good if they focused on course management and short game. Well, that sounds like excellent advice for any junior looking to play at the collegiate level. Uh, let's switch gears a little bit. You have another team on campus, ladies basketball, that seems to do well every year. I'm sure you know their coach, Gina Oriama, pretty well. Give me a good story about Coach Oriama. So, so he came up on a game day one time in our indoor facility, and um, I think it was a decent game. I remember coming into our indoor facility, and uh, he's in there chipping and putting with some of the guys that were finishing up. <laughs> he's he's grinding away with our team, and I'm just watching this, and, and I just leaned over to one of the kids, and I'm like, you guys are having a short game competition with a Naismith Hall, Hall of Famer. And the kid's face turned white, and the kid really couldn't do anything for the rest of the afternoon against Coach. But he's he's competitive in anything he does. And um, So this might be a, a dumb question. Um, won't be my first and won't be the last, obviously. But we see Coach R.M. on TV just winning basketball games all the time. What kind of attention does he get on campus? Can he just Does he just walk freely around and people say hi? What's what's that vibe for someone that's not, you know, I'm not there? What What's it like as someone that's there at at the campus every day Uh, let me tell you something in the state of connecticut that guy is probably more beloved than anybody ever and um you know when it comes to that fan base now uh, you know fortunately i work for a place that's got um two coaches that are part of the naismith hall of fame and then another player rebecca lobo who's just inducted to the, the naismith hall of fame but you know jim and gino um, built Gamble Pavilion, so they're they're both beloved, godlike people here. All right, I know this is going to be tough, but just try and pretend to be impartial here. What do you think of Coach Oram's golf game? You know, the thing about it is, like, he's what sixty two, sixty three. You know, he's uh, takes a lot of pride in his golf, man. I, I tell you, and it's it's fun because the kids really relish the opportunity to have a Hall of Famer chipping and putting and using TrackMan, and sure. why well, wear him out privately about questions about. Uh, how to how to how to be a coach i mean he th- i think he's pretty good at it and now time for a quick bucket well coach it's time for the quick bucket really appreciate your time and all the insight you provided to us just a couple kind of off topic questions but fun ones we ask all of our guests so the first one for you is this jack nicholas victory in 86 at the masters or tiger woods fifth green jacket which would be the bigger victory yeah, Jack was forty six, man. I don't, I don't know. That that's a, that's a great question, Ben. Jack's forty six years old, playing with a putter that looks like he got it out of the lost and found bin. Um, the the McGregor MT response. The response, yeah. But I've watched the eighty six Masters a ton. Fifth, see, I think I think Tiger can come back and win a couple majors because. If you look at the golf swing that, that, that's been out there on the Internet, I, I don't think a fifth green jacket's going to be it for Tiger. And, um, so you're believing everything you see on the Internet. I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> let, me, let me just say this. <laughs> let, let, me, let me say that. Yeah, I guess, I, guess you could, I guess you could put that on me there, Ben. But um, I, 
I think there's a whole generation of junior golfers that don't know how great Tiger's good really was. And that's terrifying. Oh, yeah. Because... That means we're old. That's what that means. <laughs> well, yeah, that too. But, you know, like, what did he go, three years without missing a three-foot putt or something like that? I mean, that's yeah. absurd. And, you know, like, how long was he number one in the world? And the one year he was like, 75 under par on par three scoring. The next guy was like 11 or 15 under. I mean, he's beaten players on par threes by 60 shots. So, so I think I think Tiger is going to come back. I I really and people laugh at me when I say this. I just I think Tiger still has something left in the tank. I know that the young the young guns are the young guns, and nobody's scared of that any longer. But I think once he gets a little taste of what he is and who he is and what he's done. I think the world of golf is going to lose its mind and the internet's just going to shut down. But I think Mr. Nicholas winning in 86 was just absurd, right? 46 years old. Everybody was counting them out. I mean, that was pretty unbelievable. You know, 31 on the back was 31, 32 on the back nine. 30, uh, 35, 30, 30. My bad. Sorry, Mr. Nicholas, but you know, and he and he held off some some pretty <laughs> some Hall of Famers in that in that whole process. But um, yeah, I'll, I'll go with I'll go with Jack's eighty six. Okay, okay, fair enough. So the other one I wanted to ask you real quick is: you can give a major championship to any man, any woman, alive or dead, whether they don't have a major or whether they have eighteen majors. You can give a, you can give any major to anyone. I mean, you, you can't give one to you know like some chop, you know, like a Willie Spicer or something. You got to give it to <laughs> Well, a couple months back, I would have said Sergio. Okay. But he took me off the, uh, he, he took care of that one. I would say Lee Westwood, a British Open at St. Andrews. That's a real good one. Nice. That guy played some phenomenal golf. And it just didn't happen for him, which unfortunately our game is losing more than you win. So, he's at the top of the list also, guys, you want to have a beer with. I mean, he's he's right there. So, Yeah, him and Darren Clark, I bet, yep. right? Yep, him and Darren Clark. You know, yep. I, don't know if you'd, I don't know if you'd survive that. Uh, I, I, I'd, I'd probably be okay with that. I don't know if well, you'd you know survive. I don't drink, so That's, that would I, be the you, problem. Yeah, you'd, 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 you'd be the Uber driver. So that'd be perfect. That's okay. I, could, I, was, I was a great designated driver forever. I'd be glad to do it. Perfect. Perfect. Well, Coach, this is fun. I really appreciate it. Definitely been fun. But, uh, yeah, good luck uh, Good luck for the, uh, the upcoming season. And uh, we'll definitely keep an eye on, on UConn and hopefully see you at the NCAAs uh, at the end of the season. And, uh, yeah, thanks for doing this. Yeah, go Huskies. And that will wrap up another week here at the Back of the Range Golf Podcast. Thank you very much to our guest this week, David Bizzino, head coach of the UConn Huskies. Best of luck to him and his team as they make their way towards the national championship. Again, follow us on Instagram at the Back of the Range. Make sure you subscribe at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Overcast, all that stuff. Leave some reviews. Let us know how we're doing. And shoot me an email. Ben at thebackoftherange.com. I answer pretty much all of them. Yeah. So have a great week, and we will see you again next week at the Back of the Range.